everyone. This week on Bold Life Out Loud, we're talking all things foster care. Over the last five years, we have said yes to over 27 kids from general foster care, adoption, and respite care. Our family has seen a lot and we've been through a lot. I volunteered for programs like Royal Family Kids and now have a nonprofit myself, Geronimo Project. I'm trying to change the conversation about what foster care really looks like for families saying yes with hopes to better equip and educate the community. Welcome to Bold Life Out Loud, one woman's journey about living outside the normalcy box and the people doing life with me. Here's to living an authentic, messy life and sharing truth of real life lessons instead of the constant perfection feed. I'm Bonnie and welcome to my bold life. I'm living out loud. Hey, you guys, welcome to episode four of Bold Life Out Loud podcast. Today, we're going to dig a little deeper with what foster care looks like from the process of getting certified, juggling the trauma and all of your feels and remembering your why. But make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Geronimo Project to get more information about what the process really looks like. So let's start off with this. What my foster care journey or our family's foster care journey and adoption journey looks like is going to be completely different than yours. Why? Because I'm a different person than you. That's the truth. The way I process, the way I see things, our case um, from the trauma, everything will be completely different. What generally is the same is that everywhere, if you say yes to being a foster parent, you have a process to get certified. There's policies and procedures. There's parents that come with um, addiction and generational issues. There are kids that have trauma and there's reunification adoption at the end of it. So today, basically what we're gonna do is I'm gonna share a little bit of what it looks like to say yes to kids in Oregon and basically go through that. We also recently asked you guys on an Instagram post what you wanted to know more about. So in the dialogue, we'll be answering some of those questions that you were asking us. So you've decided to say yes to kids in care. What does that mean? Are you wanting to do general foster care, which means you are just a normal everyday person in the community and you're wanting to open up your home to kids in your community? Are you wanting to do respite? Respite means that basically you are certified to babysit and take children um, overnight, but you will not have them in the state of Oregon for more than 14 days consecutively. Or are you an emergency placement? which basically means they call you an emergency um, and you open up your home, or are you a relative caregiver? Did your sister, brother mess up a few too many times and you got the phone call to remove your nephew? Well, there you go, you're a relative caregiver. Each one is different, but all of them have the same general background. Um, we are doing general foster care. The process to get certified is completely different than respite. Um, respite care, because it's not a long-term thing, generally all you have to do, and this is of course, again, in the state of Oregon, 
every state is different um, and you would want to contact your local agency to see what their rules are. But in the state of Oregon, if you want to do respite care, um, all that you have to do honestly is fill out some paperwork for anyone that is 18 and over um, for a background check and do fingerprints. Now, if you are wanting to do general foster care, that home study and that process is completely different. Um, let's talk about what that looks like. So first off, you will be required to take in, again, the state of Oregon, 30 hours of class time. Right now, because we're in COVID, the class looks a little different. It's more online um, than it used to be in-person classes. And then you will also have to do what's called a home study. So you pick out and not pick out, you fill out, excuse me, um, a bunch of paperwork. And the paperwork covers things like um, your finances. Are you financial stable? Because while you do get compensated, which is not much, uh, from your state to take care of the kids that are in your home. I will tell you right now, the income that you get from saying yes to a child, you will most likely spend way more than that. Um, so they wanna know your financial. They wanna know your background from your um, childhood history to your marriage, or if you're single, they're gonna wanna know that stuff. Who are the people that are there in your life to help support you through this process? Um, you know, for us, because we are married, they wanted to know about our sex life. How many times are we having sex a week? Um, what does that look like? What, you know, our kids' involvement um, as far as, like, in the home, not in our sex life, of course. <laughs> that would be weird. Um, and so just they ask and they dig and they want to know all of the things about your life because the reality is, Saying yes to kids in care is going to affect certain parts of what your life looks like. So they're digging up the dirt, they're finding out things, um, and they want to make sure that you don't have something that is going to be brought up or triggered. Now, of course, I am very open about what my life looks like from the beginning, and that means I am very open and honest with them about my sexual and physical abuse as a child, what trauma has looked like as far as me going to um, a counselor, and um, what my triggers are, and so on. And so, I will tell you that they were concerned about how I would process, but because I live this out and I have a good support system, counseling, um, I'm very open on the way that I process my feelings, um, we were approved um, because they knew that I was setting things up. Just because you've had some sort of trauma or just because maybe you've been in trouble with the law before does not mean that you are automatically out from saying yes to kids in care. Of course, some things will get you disqualified if you have a major um, record, sorry, you will not um, qualify. So say for example, there are um, kids that come into care and they call an aunt or uncle because the aunt or uncle wants to say yes to opening up their home to the kids. Well. If that aunt or uncle has a record for drug abuse or child issues, most likely that relative is going to get overlooked and therefore the child would come into general care. Um, 
It's a really weird process, but they try to actually keep the kids with family, which is understandable. Um, and so they try to do relative caregiving as much as possible. But sadly, um, as we have mentioned, it's generational. And so sometimes those family members are unable to say yes to the kids, whether they want to or not. So let's talk about now you've decided to um, say yes to kids and care and we're wanting to do general. So me and my husband wanted to do general. We didn't come into foster care because we had a relative in there. We didn't want to do it just for the weekend. We wanted to say yes long term. So we went through the interview process. We filled out all the paperwork and then we were approved. Basically, now that I'm approved, I have a license that I have to hang on my wall along with the um, foster parents' rights and the, um, the children's rights, which says they have right to food and they have right to this. And it's basically saying, like, allowing them to understand what policies are and what their rights are. So now that I have that, now we have to wait for a phone call. And so I'm bringing in what we call DHS, Department of Human Services, and I'm gonna break that down for you. So the breakdown is you have a certifier. A certifier is basically the person that I, I say is your handler, okay? And that's the best way to describe it. A certifier is normally the one that does your initial home study to see if you are able to become foster parents. Once you are approved, the certifier is Okay, and so a certifier is normally the person that is going to call you when a child comes into care. So normally I'll get a phone call going, hey Bonnie, this is blank. We have this child in care and we're just interested to see if you are um, wanting to take in a placement. So that's normally your first contact with someone from your state agency. Um, the certifier is also a great resource for you because what happens is they know what your house looks like um, from an everyday. They know what you're willing to say yes to. They will still call you even though um, even though they might have a placement that really isn't good for your home. They might still call you because the reality is most cities and most states are short on homes. So they're gonna call you um, and you have every right to say no. God have mercy. If you do not feel right about saying yes, please say no because it's just not right for you if you feel uncomfortable to say yes to a child that you know is you're gonna have to move. Um, so the certifier also is the best person I feel um, that can help you get things off your checkoff list. So now my certifier has called me I said yes to a placement that um, will be coming to our home later on today. So now what's gonna happen is our certifier is going to let the emergency worker, so an emergency worker is someone that is basically on call, that is doing the removal and putting the child in your home. This emergency worker, um, placement worker, is not the long-term caseworker. And so again, it's normally the person they have on hand that is doing the removal, that is getting whatever needed for you in your home, and they are the ones that are gonna now contact you to do drop off. Now, hi emergency worker, the kids are in my home. 
what's going to happen is you will eventually get a phone call from a permanency working worker and that takes um, a few weeks and so the permanency worker is going to be your long-term everyday person the one that's going to come and check in on you monthly um, because in the state of Oregon they need to do monthly visits with the child in your home or in the community they also are the ones that are going to um, approve things like daycare or um, they're going to be the ones that are going to be keeping the case notes or the ones that go to court for you. Um, and so that is going to be the person you are going to have everyday contact with for the child that you took into your home. Now, the certifier is a great person to help be the liaison before or between you and a caseworker. So say you just have a caseworker that isn't responding to emails or phone calls, the best way to go around that is honestly contact your certifier and they are the people that will get it done for you. Because while the caseworker might have 30 cases, the certifier only has a few people to represent. Um, so that's how that happens. Uh, and then in the system, you will also have the caseworker and certifiers um, but each one of those will have supervisors. We will also have SSAs. SSAs are the people that will be supervising your visits. And so they are the ones that um, take notes on how visits are. They are the ones that you will be dealing with depending on how many visits you have. They will also help with um, case planning and recommendation for the future. And they also will be helping with skills training with parents. Um, so each one of those caseworkers, certifiers, emergency placement have certified or supervisors. Each supervisor or each branch has a manager, a main manager, and then each district within itself has a district manager. Think of it as a large corporation and breaking it down as owner, VP, you know, supervisors, and everyday workers. That's how it will be broken down for you. Um, in the state of Oregon, our main office is in Salem. And so that's how it works out. If you ever have like any issues with any of your certifiers or caseworkers, um, the best way and honestly, the main way that I say that you should handle these things is email. Cover thy butt. <laughs> that is the best piece of advice that I could ever give anyone coming into the foster care system and dealing with them is um, do as much as possible through text message and email because then you have proof and that way you also can include other people. So if I'm having an issue with one of my permanency workers as she's not responding um, to my request or um, just not playing nice, Basically what happens is I can CC my certifier. I can CC supervisors. And sometimes when you do that, you tend to get quicker responses. Sad to say it, but sometimes it has to be brought up to people that they need to follow through with things. Um, so that's kind of the way that the DHS system is made up. Now, when you say yes to a child in your home, you have to understand that you are actually saying more than just yes to the child. 
you are saying yes to the group of people that are going to um, help with the reunification and that are going to support the bio family and they're going to also support um, the children. So when you say yes to a child in care, what you're saying yes to is the child. You're saying yes to a CASA, who is someone that is appointed to them to help advocate for what they need. So special classes, special training, special sensory toys. Um, they are the one that helps advocate, I would say, the most for the child in your home. Each child in the state of Oregon, oh, let me backtrack. CASAs are hard to come by because we are short on CASAs. It is something that you can volunteer to do. Um, and we do not have an abundant amount of them. So therefore, you don't always get a CASA. Um, it really depends on your case. I know when we had Dominic, he was in our home for basically three years. Um, and then once they did the removal, because of our assessment, we finally got a CASA. Um, so you've got the child, they come with a CASA. Each child comes with a social worker or a caseworker. So. If you have Timmy Joe that was placed in your home, they might have one caseworker, and you have Bobby Sue who is also placed in your home, they too will also have their own set of people, meaning caseworkers, CASAs, etc. Um, each child then will also have their own lawyer, and some of these lawyers are great, and some of these lawyers are collecting hours. And so in the state of Oregon, if you didn't know this, and most likely on most states, um, the lawyers that are appointed are doing basically volunteer hours and it's part of an agreement that they have with basically keeping their license from my understanding. Um, pro bono hours and keeping in the good grace of the county that they're in. So you've got the child, you've got a CASA, you've got a caseworker, you've got a lawyer and that's just for the state. Um, so now let's also talk that a child most likely will have therapy of some sort. You will also have teachers. Um, you will, might uh, have special therapy like programs like play therapy. Um, and then you will also have things like um, family. <laughs> so you will have bio parents that you will have to deal with. You might have one set or you might have multiple if the parents are still together or not. You might have grandparents. If you're dealing with ICWA, which is Indian law, you might have a um, tribe that is involved with your case. And so each one, each time you say yes, this is what you're saying yes to. I know it seems like a lot and sometimes it is, but the whole plan, right, is reunification. And so we want all of these parties to be involved and we want all of them to know what's going on. You also will have the parents' lawyers who are appointed um, and you will have their therapist, or you might even have family counseling instead of just independent counseling. They might do both of them. Um, again, it depends on the child's case placement and, and goals. Um, you might also have what is for, in our area, they call them life or parent mentors to help um, a parent work on skills. So, that is a lot, I know. And so that is the DHS breakdown and the people that you're actually saying yes to when you have a child come into your home.
Now, let's talk about the most awkward thing in the world that people always wanna know yet are always nervous to ask because there's this weird misconception that when I say yes to kids and care, I'm doing it for the money. That's a joke, folks. Let's break that stigma right now. The reality is a normal couple or a normal person that is making any sort of life choices or assessments is going to ask the question, can I financially do this? So yes, you should know what you are going to be compensated for a child. So I'm gonna give you a breakdown. Um, in the state of Oregon, the base rate is $650 a month. Now, there are different things that play into this. When a child is placed into your home, normally they go in for a therapeutic counseling um, assessment, which is called a CANS level here. So there's a CANS level one or zero, one, two, or three. Zero is like the minimal and three is very high functioning and needs. And so what happens is while you get a child in your home and your base rate is $650, if you go in to your assessment for your CANS and the child is then placed at a CANS level two or three, that rate can jump up for you because you're expected to do more. You'll have more counseling, more skills training, more hands-on needs, um, more respite needs needed, um, more transportation, and therefore you need to be compensated at a higher rate. Um, so that compensation, let's also talk about, it's not, it's not me collecting a paycheck. In the state of Oregon, what happens is you actually say yes to a child, say February 1st. You will pay for that child all through February, and then March 1st, you would get a, a reimbursement check, and that means you would get reimbursed for the child being your home from February 1st until March 1st. So you basically are paying upfront costs, and then at the end of the month or the beginning of the new month, you're getting compensated a new, or you're getting compensated the fees that you had already paid. Um, so that is supposed to cover things like diapers, wipes, uh, formula, clothes, um, any needs from like um, cribs and, and sheets and you know the normal everyday stuff that is needed. Um, there's also things that um, you can get reimbursed like mileage. So if I am the one transporting my child to and from visits instead of the state or the SSA, I can get reimbursed miles. If you are also transporting to um, doctor's appointments and all that stuff, you can also get reimbursed miles. Now I need to tell you, it's not as simple as like, hey, I just fill out one form and I'm gonna get all of those reimbursements back. Um, basically, I have to keep a log of miles being driven to and from visits separate from the miles for doctor's appointments. And in the state of Oregon, I actually have to get doctor's appointments um, and, and, you know, like counseling and, and dentists. They all have to be approved beforehand um, before I can actually submit it. It's the weird thing and it definitely is a pain in the butt. Um, and a lot of foster parents actually choose not to do it because it is so much paperwork. It is something I feel 
that they should improve on. I feel that we should be able to just think of one form and that should cover all of that stuff. Um, also, in as far as compensation, there's other things like respite. So if I decide to use respite, which is we go back to someone that can take a child up to 14 days overnight for me, um, we are supposed to compensate the daily rate. So on average, the daily rate in Oregon is $30 a day for a child. Um, so basically, if I ask someone to do respite care for me, then I would pay them that $30. Now that's 100% between you and that respite, respite provider. Um, I know for me, when I do it for other foster parents, I tend not to charge them. I kind of do like this honor system, like, hey, you cover me, I cover you. Um, so really that's a conversation you need to have with your respite provider and see if they want money or not. Um, but the state of Oregon right now um, actually will give you a reimbursement. It depends on where you're at on how much they will compensate you and for how many days, but there is help for that to help um, cover that cost. There's also a daycare fund, which right now we're using because we have the twins and I can't get anything done with two two-year-olds in our home right now. Um, so the state of Oregon will do a reimbursement for daycare at $375 a month per child to help cover daycare costs. We know that's not full-time care, um, I basically just paid that for one week of daycare. Um, and so they also, because of COVID, have an additional emergency funds. So if there's any type of emergency funds, I say utilize them. And so the emergency funds right now covers an additional $375 a month for each child. Thank you, Jesus, because that helps out so much. Otherwise, it would be out of pocket for us. Um, so that too, I pay up front, I submit my paperwork at the end of the month, and then I would be reimbursed the funds that I put out there for them. There's also things like when a child comes into your home for the first time, they will give you clothing vouchers. I know for sure this is 100% different um, all over the country because I know there are other places that say they do like a $300 voucher twice a year for you to go do like winter stuff and then um, summer stuff. But for us, it's $120 first time that child ever comes into care and that's it. Um, I say use it because it is very expensive to say yes to kids when they show up on your doorstep and have nothing in tow with them. So we've talked about saying yes to kids in care. Who comes along on that journey with those kids in care? The DHS breakdown, compensation, what else? What else can we talk about? Um, okay, this is a good one. So when we took um, a class, our, our main 30 hours, we talked about what an assessment is. Assessments are a huge deal and they get overlooked by so many people. And actually they get joked around about. Um, an assessment is basically when someone will call, whether it's an 800 number and report you or a bio parent or someone who basically has the authority or right 
um, to call, I mean, anyone has the right to call the 800 number, but anyone that is supposed to call if they um, think that there's abuse going on or so on. And so basically an assessment is when someone calls, reports something on you, and they have to do an assessment. They either become founded or unfounded. Um, we have had several assessments on our home, um, and most of them have come back, uh, you know, no fault or unfounded, but then we did have a major assessment on us, um, and I've shared about that journey before, um, that really could have ruined our life. And so I want people to understand that when you're taking a risk to letting kids into your home, the reality is you are also taking a big risk on what your everyday life is gonna look like. So, if you're a police officer, a therapist, a school teacher, having an assessment on you means you can lose your job. It means you might not be able to volunteer in your child's classrooms in the future because therefore, if you have a founded assessment on you, you're basically being told that you have hurt or been accused of hurting a child in your home. So. Assessments are not a joke, and this is where I go back to document, document, document. Can I tell you again? Document everything. Whether it's they fall down and they get a scrape, whether it's a daycare making a note, um, having the conversations with doctors, um, whether it's issues with SSAs or um, with your caseworkers. Document everything because the reality is it's your word against someone else's word and it's better to over protect yourself than under protect yourself and find yourself in a really bad situation later down the road. Um, okay, what about timeline? You know, there are people that come into foster care because they wanna adopt and I need to let you know right now, the whole goal of foster care is reunification. In When we said yes to our son or to the kids that have come into our home, um, my goal is not to keep every single one of them. My goal really is to help parents learn better skills, break generation um, trauma, and get their act together so that they can parent their own children. And so... Um, you need to keep that in mind. I understand that the longer the child is in your home, the most likely is you're gonna come become very protective of them. You are gonna want the life that you provide for them. You are going to maybe want to adopt and fall in love with them. But the reality is just because a parent does not give them the same life as you or the same opportunities as you does not mean they're not qualified to be a good parent. If they're kicked addiction, if they maybe have a one bedroom apartment that three of them are living in and they're working and doing what they're supposed to be doing for their rehabilitation, you have to give grace and maybe be a good mentor or safety for that person. Um, to do the long haul of saying yes to their kids. Um, so with that being in mind, reunification is goal number one. So there are also other parts of that where when we're case planning, there's reunification case planning, there's adoption, and then there's guardianship. Adoption is basically what it means. It 
means that the parent is no longer able to or wanting to um, parent, and so their rights are terminated, which is called TPR, termination of parental rights, which happens either by themselves, they do it, or um, a judge does it for them because the state now has proof that a parent can no longer um, parent their child. Um, adoption, what that looks like is you do, um, again, a home study, but this one is focused on that child and that home for adoption. Once that home study is completed, um, there's also things like you would go and sit in front of a board and kind of like we brought pictures, like this is our son, this is what he's done in our house. Um, and that board says kind of yes or no on what they think is good for that child. Um, once those two things are done, it's basically you know, rights are terminated. And so now we're waiting to do the assistance. In the state of Oregon, what people don't understand is when you actually adopt a child from care, you still get some sort of compensation. It's definitely not what it is beforehand, but they are still finding a way to help you um, offset that cost. So an adoption through the state, I don't have to pay one dime for um to adopt a child. They also have the adoption um, financial help. So basically for the rest of our son's life until he's 18, we will be getting some sort of stipend from the state because we adopted him. He will also qualify for um, health insurance, which is great. Um, that's a big chunk of change. And so um, those are things that are included in his adoption. And so basically the state will have you fill out paperwork going, hey, what do you think we should help you with as far as the long term with the child being placed in your home? They'll come back and say, this is what we think. You have the right to say yes or no. And then once that is done, voila, you wait for your court date. Um, another thing people don't realize is that because everyone likes to do the pictures and celebrate in a courtroom, you actually don't have to do an in-courtroom um, adoption day. You can have the judge just sign off on the paperwork and send that back to you and you're done with the adoption. Another aspect of what the system does as far as case planning is guardianship. I personally am not a fan of guardianship, but everyone's case is different and so you do what you have to do. Um, guardianship means basically you are in charge of that child. The state is no longer involved, but guardianship means that a bio parent or family member has the right to come back eventually if they choose to, to basically um, change that uh, conversation. And they might say in three years, get their act together and they're clean and they're doing their life good. And all of a sudden now they're ready to participate in their child's life. And so they have the right to come back and say, look, we want to be parents. So we're going to take you back to court because we want to um, overturn this and we want our child back. I have heard that it's really hard for that to happen, but I don't think I could live in that space. <laughs> I don't think I could live in that space for three, four, five years and then have that always hanging over my head. Um, in adoption, you have every right to make the agreement um, to have children or children participate with their family. 
So in our situation, when we finalized our adoption um, in the mediation, basically up to me, I said that one set of grandparents could be involved in our son's life and one set of grandparents could not be in our son's life. And the reality is I'm doing it because what's best for our son. One set, while lifestyle choices aren't the same as ours, they love their grandson, they um, acknowledge us as parents, they respect our rules and our boundaries. The other ones are enablers, they do not respect boundaries um, and are just unsafe people. Therefore, they will not be able to participate. Um, I've also always let bio mom know, like if you got your act together as far as um, clean, um, cleaning up as drug use, safe skills, and so on, she would be able to participate in our son's life. But until then, I have to have a strong boundary for our son. Um, and that's all right. Um, guardianship, you know, again, you, it's up to you. Um, I also feel like a child should be a part of a family. And so having that adoption piece, I think solidifies a child being in a home instead of being always in the, do I fit in this family or do I fit in that family? But I also am not a child of adoption. So again, I think it has to do with your case, your child's age and how they feel about that, your relationship with the bio parent. There are so many different key pieces and elements that play into it that you have to really pray and think about what is best for you, your family, and that child. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, there is just a lot when you say yes, and these are just little pieces of it and why I feel we need to have these conversations and be willing to live my life out for you guys because then it allows you to see hey, I would have never thought about that. Um, so there are so many different ways to say yes. And people think that just because I say yes to kids in foster care, that's the only way um, opening up your home is the only way to say yes to kids in care. And there are so many different ways for you to say yes to kids in care. Whether it's, yes, you opening up your home full time or respite care, giving foster parents a much needed break or a night off. How about mentorship? How about um, programs like Royal Family Kids, Boys and Girls Club? Um, if you're a grandparent and you wanna sit with a child at the DHS office once they've been removed and keep them occupied um, until placement, what about um, CASAs? We need CASAs, like there is no, we just need CASAs. It's ridiculous that we don't have enough people. There's um, CRB, Citizen Reboard, Revo I can't even talk, Citizen Review Board. And what they do is they basically come together, look at cases and um, kind of say like, hey, why is this taking so long? What's going on? And so there are so many different ways um, volunteering in um, a pantry for them, uh, bringing f food. In the state of Oregon, we have a program called Every Child. And so you can sign up to be a part of the neighborhood program or the neighbor program, which basically allows daycare, food, gift baskets, um, gift cards, 
Um, so again, there are so many ways for you to say yes to kids and care, to help support foster families, and to change the conversation about what's really happening to kids in your community. Now, let's talk about what a timeline looks like for these kids. Timeline is different. It's case by case, and um, it really depends on what the bio parents' needs and skills are. And so for us, we've had kids in our care from six months to kids that are in our home permanently. The hope is the quicker, the better, um, but the reality is addiction is hard. Learning new skills, it's hard. And so that takes time. I would prefer the timeline being longer than a rushed process and then having a child bounce in and out of care. That is probably one of the biggest things that frustrates me the most is the bounce back because sometimes we're so worried about um, what is fast and what is good for bio parents that we're, we're rushing the system. And so for me, I would love to see instead of it pushed faster, that we're more, more focused on the skills and the long-term. So we don't have a constant in and out. We have had um, kids before in our home that they were born into the system and at 11, 12 years old, they were still in the system and they had been bounced in and out their whole life. Um, we finally did get mom back the children, but because of her skills, again, she, went back to her old life and now the kids are permanently in care because of her choices. And that to me is heartbreaking. That's hard to watch. Um, and something I really wish legislators and the system itself focused more on. Some of the most common questions that I receive from people when we're talking about foster care is why. Why do you wanna do foster care? And the reality is why not? First of all, it's what I was asked to do from our Lord. I'm a believer and he asked you to take care of the widowed and orphan. So why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I step up, say I see you, I love you, and just try to be a safe place for a child? Does that make me a perfect place for every child? No, it doesn't. There are kids that we have had to call the state for and have them removed because we just aren't a good fit. Do I feel guilty about that? Yes. I will tell you it breaks your heart when you have to remove a child, but I also know that I have to do what's best for me and my family in long term. I also completely believe in the power of positivity. I know firsthand what it looks like and what it feels like to someone to finally see your pain and your trauma, to call it out hold it accountable, and to say you are more than what has been done to you. And so I believe that we as people that are walking around day to day have the ultimate power to see others and help change their life, whether it's just from saying hi or being that safe place or doing life together. I think we, we need to do more of it. We need to step in and fill in the gaps instead of questioning what is wrong with drug addiction or what is wrong with homelessness in our communities. We need to look at the root of things and um, hold ourselves accountable as a community in where we stand in trying to bridge the gaps in between that. 
Um, another big question that I received, and I love that someone asked this, was um, how has foster care has foster care brought any memories back for me of my own childhood? And the answer is yes. How could it not? Um, and I think the best way to approach this question is that, um, so I survived some of the most horrific things that have happened to me in my life. But in the same time, when I said yes to Kids in Care, I never expected their stories to be so much more. Their stories to be so much more worse than what I actually endured. And, and that's what happens is that while I have my past, while you might have your past, what these kids are going through is crazy and honestly just unimaginable to the normal everyday person. And um, so yeah, I, uh, it's brought back memories for me. I've gone to counseling to work through some of those things. I can tell you going through the assessment um, broke me down and um, was a major trigger for us. Um, certain skills I have had to learn and better because the reality is you're dealing with kids from trauma that um, aren't raised the way you are. And so uh, control and um, having nice things in your house, like these are all things that come up. And so um, anyone out there saying that foster care won't bring back memories from your childhood if you are a trauma or abuse survivor, um, I feel is not really digging deep and actually addressing their issues. Um, I think everyday normal, I say normal meaning as normal as we humans can be, I feel should go to counseling. I think it's a great resource for people because uh, trauma, abuse, and addiction are hard subjects to handle and process on your own. And the reality is people that are not in your everyday life are just not going to understand it. People that are not walking this walk are really not going to be able to comprehend what saying yes to kids in care looks like. Um, the, the way I know and can handle what we're walking through is because we've been doing it for a while. We can see the skills and we've built those because we've had so much time dealing with kids in the system. So... That is what we have for you to a little bit. So I hope that what I'm sharing with you today um, is that there is no right time to foster. You also do not have to open your home to actually serve the kids and care in your community. It's a hard, it's hard, and this journey is not for everyone, and that's okay. But we as Christians or as a community need to realize that there is a whole group of kids going under the radar because foster parents are asked to be silent and people in the community do not want to walk in the uncomfortable. But I can tell you where I have grown or in the moments of being uncomfortable, it's made me a better woman, a better person, a better Christian, and a better community member. And for that, I'm thankful. No matter what we've walked through, I've grown from that. And I cannot say thank you enough to what that growth 
has brought me in the long run. So think about all those things we talked about today. Stay tuned for more episodes. Make sure you follow, like, and share with your friends the Bold Life Out Loud podcast. And make sure to find me on Instagram at Geronimo Project. I want to hear your comments, questions. Let me know what you think and what you want to hear because you are not alone on this journey. So continue to live out loud and I will see you next time on Bold Life Out Loud podcast.